Welcome. You are listening to the Upper Room Podcast. For more information or to donate to this ministry, visit URFellowship.com. Good morning. Good morning. Just want to thank Beth for sharing last week. What I like, um, what I like, is that Beth told God that if he, if somebody had asked, if somebody asked her to speak, she would, and uh, she would use her gifts and her talents to do that. So what I like about that is I can ask her, and I know she has to do it. So <laughs> I can exploit that, and that's nice. But also, she does an awesome job. She does a great job. Um. Welcome to the last sermon in our series, Invisible. We've been talking about how to have a relationship with the God we don't see. Uh, Here we are. You made it through to the end. Congratulations. Now, spiritual growth, spiritual transformation always rests on whether or not we take what we learn, what we take what we're reading, what we take what we learn in, in our Sunday teachings, and we apply it. We can only take ourselves so far in a Sunday teaching. That gets us started, but the question is whether or not it ends there. So we've had an emphasis on application throughout the series, and I want to tell you, it's not too late to say this week I will live differently in light of what we've been talking about, because that's what this is all about, or else we're just going through a religious exercise of increasing our knowledge, but not our application. So today, we want to review a little bit, and then we're going to get into our idea. So we've said during this series that there was something so important about the Holy Spirit that Jesus told his disciples that it was to their advantage that he go away, if it meant, he, if it meant they would receive the Holy Spirit, right? To me, that's one of the most astounding promises Jesus ever made. Jesus says this in John sixteen seven: Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So think about the absurdity of that statement on the surface. How awesome would it have been to have been with Jesus for for three years? And now he's telling you it's to his advantage, to your advantage, that he go away. Or consider consider this. There was something so important about the Holy Spirit. Jesus told his disciples to, to, to not as much as lift a finger toward the Great Commission until they had received him. Luke 24, 29, wait in Jerusalem until you receive the Holy Spirit. Think about that. I want you to sit in a room and wait. Just do nothing until you receive the Holy Spirit. What's so important about the Holy Spirit that even the Great Commission could wait? John 14 through 16 is Jesus' final words to his disciples before he died which means he's telling them the most important things they need to remember and hold on to after he's gone. And in these three short chapters, he brings up the Holy Spirit more than 20 times. He says this in John 14, 23, Jesus answered them, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. And we see throughout the Bible, we see that God has always wanted to be present with his people. In the Garden of Eden, he came down every evening and he walked with them. In Exodus, he came down to them and led them uh, with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Didn't have to do that. He wanted his presence with them. 
Eventually, he would have them construct a temple so that he could dwell in the midst of them. The Israelites even had a name for God, Jehovah Shammah, which means God, the God who is here. When the Messiah was born, the angel said to call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And now Jesus said, by the Holy Spirit, he will be closer than ever. God will make his home in us. By the Holy Spirit, God himself would be present with us, as real and as present with us as Jesus was with his disciples. So today, the big idea I want to talk about is uh, is awareness of that presence. Awareness of that presence. As we move through the world, as we live our lives, going to work, hitting the grocery store, running the kids around, as we do the stuff of life, how do we do that with an ongoing awareness of his presence with us? And how does that change our internal state? What would, you, what would that do to you to be aware of his closeness all the time? I believe that just awareness of his closeness can radically change our internal state, right? Here's what I mean. I was in, I think, sixth grade when Rachel sat beside me on the bleachers during an after-school basketball game. I was on the bleachers, and it, was, it, was, it, was, it wasn't that she sought me out. I don't even know if she knew my name. It was just that beside me was the only open area on the bleachers for Rachel to sit. And so her and some of her friends came over and sat down. What Rachel did not know is that I had a crush on Rachel. By the way, I'm not giving any last names to protect the innocent. All right. I don't know where Rachel is now. She might be here. I don't know. But here she was, sitting close to me, and I was aware of that closeness. Do you know how that changed my internal state for the rest of the game? My world was on fire. (laughs) Our knees were pretty close. And then I don't know exactly what happened, maybe about halfway through or or more the game. Some some more of her friends came, and so there wasn't a lot of room, and so she had to move closer to me. I don't think we actually ever touched, but I'm pretending to watch the basketball game, but my whole body is electrified with the proximity of Rachel. My entire being was focused on the fact that we are mere inches from each other. Now, why am I 42 years old and I still remember that? Because that closeness was exciting, right? And Kate, who's here, you need to know, every time we're close, honey, uh, I have the same experience. (laughs) I just remembered you're here, Kate, and I want you to make sure you know that. Anyway, let's move on. Shall we? If, If... Rachel can do that to my right knee. What is it like to live with a moment-by-moment awareness of the, of, of the close proximity of Jesus, of the God who created the universe, the God who loves you, the God who chooses to be beside you, the God who pursues you, the God who loves you more than you can even begin to fathom? And the Jesus who specifically said, I will be with you, who through the Holy Spirit wants to be with you, close to you. How can that change your internal state? As you have this relationship with this invisible friend, what would that awareness be like? That's what we want to talk about today. Is that becoming aware of God's presence means tuning into reality. So today we're not talking about mental or cognitive tricks that we can play on ourselves to imagine something that's not true. I mean, if we really believe this stuff, and we really believe that it's true, then whatever mental tactics we can apply, whatever practices we can implement in our lives that help us tune into this, are actually just us working at tuning into reality and being more aware of what we believe is true. 
is making us a more whole person, where our beliefs and our behavior and our internal world are all working together. The goal is an awareness of the Holy Spirit with us. For instance, in Acts 17, 28, it says, For in him we live and move and have our being. We're in him all the time. Do we really believe that? How does that change our internal state? Matthew 28, 20, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Do we believe that he's really with us? Yes? Let's align our experience with our theology. John 5.17, my, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. Jesus says, my father's always working, so am I. Within this context, Jesus is saying that the God the Father and Jesus himself is always working in people's lives to bring about healing and wholeness, conviction, unity. He's moving us all toward the truth all the time. The father's always working. He's never stopped. Jesus says, me too. Now, this verse is in the context of religious leaders coming to Jesus and being upset because of two things. One, he's, he's healed a man on the Sabbath, which is already problematic for them. Then secondly, when he healed the guy, he said, take up your mat and walk, which also breaks the rules of the Sabbath because it was against tradition to do work on the Sabbath, which the Pharisees decided meant you couldn't even carry, carry personal belongings around on the Sabbath. So Jesus heals a man on the Sabbath, and then he says, away you go, make sure you carry something with you as you go. Jesus transcends the rules. Love always trumps law. Relationship always over religion. And so Jesus has healed this man. The religious leaders come to him and say, how can you do this? And instead of backpedaling and saying, well, it's not really work. It's, I wouldn't call it work on the Sabbath. It's more like Jesus like, drives home this word work just to show he has authority, even over the rules. He says, my father has always has been working on the, on the Sabbath, and I too am working. Because I'm working, he's working, work, 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 work on the Sabbath. God has authority over his own law, and Jesus brings God to us in human form. So it's within this context that the religious leaders are not getting it. They can't recognize who's standing right in front of them. And it's a lesson for us today because why couldn't they see who Jesus was? Because their religion had become just a religion of the book rather than a religion of the author of the book. Their faith was a faith attached to the past so strongly that they did not have eyes to see what God might be doing in the present. Their entire religion was based on rehearsing, memorizing, studying how God worked in the past so they could preserve the past, make sure that the past was not forgotten. None of that's bad. It's just incomplete. They're so focused on preserving the past that when God was doing something new in the present, they had no paradigm for that. And then sometimes I wonder if we as Christians have the possibility of stepping into the same shoes as the Pharisees. God in the present will have continuity with the past, always. That's why we study the past. But the past tells us that he's alive now, that, he's ro- that he rose again, that he's still with us, relating to us now. So if we're just studying the past, we have an intellectual faith, but we don't have an experiential faith. We're not actually having the relationship with God that we're reading about. 
or studying relationship as though it's just a topic. Let me put it to you this way. Your, your, ex, your external life may be different because you believe in Jesus, right? You, you, for instance, you go, to, you go to church on Sundays. You maybe pray during the week. Maybe you read your Bible. Maybe you talk with other Christians. Maybe you go to fellowship group. So there's things you do. Maybe even your ethical life has been changed because you believe in the reality of Jesus. Wonderful. Now here's a question. How has your internal life changed? How has your internal life changed because you believe Jesus is real and with you at all times and is working, always working? In other words, we could ask ourselves a question this way. How is my internal life any different to that of an atheist? It's a good question to ask yourself. This is a part of being a follower of Jesus that we can't do for one another. We come together in community, we model, we teach, we, we talk back and forth, we learn. We get courage from one another, but at some point, we need to gather up these tools and say, I'm responsible for moving forward in my relationship with God. Because by faith, I believe God is always, always with me and is working. So I'm not going to just be passive anymore. At some point, we need to take ownership for that and say, am, am I disciplining my attention to be aware of this? To tune into this reality? So that my faith is not just academic but my faith is something I actually live out. King David, who wrote many of the Psalms, he wrote Psalm uh, 119, which is all about how much he loves the law. He loves the book. He loves the rules. He loves learning Torah. He loves God's law. But it didn't stop there for him. He was said to be a man after God's own heart, not just because he loved the book. The Pharisees loved the book. They weren't people after God's own heart. But David went beyond the book, and also experience God moment by moment. So not only does he write Psalm 119 about loving the law, he also writes Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life, ongoing, present tense. He leads me along the right paths for his namesake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. He even shifts from talking about God in third person, he, to second person, you, you do this to me. He goes from talking about God to talking to God. And he says, this is my experience. My faith is that God is with me, guiding me, refreshing me. They have an ongoing connection. He loves the book, but he loves the book because it's a stepping stone to get to know the person behind the book. And having a day-by-day, moment-by-moment relationship with that person. Uh, Let's go to Ephesians 5.18. It says, and don't get drunk with wine, which is really all about control, right? It's handing control over your life to a substance. Don't do that. Don't give control of your life to anything. Don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit. That's a command for us. We all have the Spirit inside of us if we're followers of Jesus. But he's saying that it's, it's your responsibility to be filled with the Spirit, filled up with the Spirit. That is, taking the Spirit out of our subconscious, where we've got him tucked away in there. It's almost like, yes, we've invited the Holy Spirit into our home, but we've kind of given him a room in the basement to rent. It's a nice room. 
but just stay down there so I can continue going about my life as though you're not here. But I'll get the blessing of the rental income, or whatever that translates into this analogy. And he's saying, no, no, no. God's in your house, yes, but it's up to you now to invite him out of the basement. Out of the basement of your subconscious, into every room of the house. Be filled with the Spirit. So you eat breakfast together, you watch TV together, you listen to music together, you talk together, you do life together with Jesus. This is not renting out a room in the basement of your subconscious so that you can have the blessing, but really functionally ignoring him. But be filled up with the Spirit. What would it be like for you then to have this awareness in different areas of your life? In the Bible, people respond in different ways. I mean, some people respond once they have this awareness of God being right there. Sometimes they respond with a sense of conviction over their sin. That's appropriate. Isaiah 6, he sees a vision of God and he says, Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. He's aware that he's not been talking right and he needs forgiveness. Now God forgives him and then immediately commissions him. He says, you're the kind of person I want to use. How about when Jesus first meets Peter? Peter's a fisherman. Jesus performs a miracle. They catch more fish. When earlier they couldn't. The miracle triggers in Peter's mind that this is not an ordinary guy. And what's Peter's first response? His first response to Jesus is, get away from me, Lord. He says, I'm not a clean man. He'd always been in, he'd been in Jesus' presence, but he didn't realize whose presence he was really in until that moment. And it leads to conviction. Don't be afraid of conviction if that's your initial response. God wants you to be convicted so that you can repent, so that you can be cleansed, so that you can be used. So you can be in partnership with him to accomplish great things. Don't be afraid of that. Don't run away from that. Some people have an experience of great joy in Scripture, in the presence of God. Some people have an ongoing peace. When they are just aware of being surrounded by God's love, for many other peoples, it's that love for others. They're moved with that heart of Christ to love others. How will this manifest in your life? What are your temptations? When you become aware that Jesus is with you, he can help you with those. Is it anger? Is it when someone cuts you off driving down the highway? When that happens, you become aware. You're like, I can't. Oh, hi, Jesus. You're with me, aren't you? And then you just turn that moment into prayer. I'm going to pray for that person. And you'll be tempted to pray an Old Testament prayer. <laughs> Lord, smite them with the power of the Holy Ghost, right? Let justice roll down like waters. But instead, maybe the Holy Spirit will nudge you, let you know that maybe they're in a rush for something important, that you should pray for them. Is materialism your temptation? Every time you see things, your interaction with material objects needs to end in ownership. I look, I like, I purchase. And knowing that Jesus is with you, he's not going to say, stop looking. But he might say, yeah, that is nice, isn't it? Then he breaks the pattern. That thing is nice. Let's appreciate it as a work of art. And so we pray, Lord, you've made creative people who can create great things. Thank you, Lord. Let's move on. And praise completes the transaction rather than ownership. Your life can be changed and improved in the areas you struggle through an awareness of the Spirit with you. He's always working, he says. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a British pastor in the early 1900s, said this. He said, those who have received the Holy Spirit are aware of a power dealing with them and working in them. A disturbance. Something, someone interfering in our lives. We're going along and suddenly we are rested and pulled up and we find ourselves different. That's the beginning 
That is what always happens when the Holy Ghost begins to work in a human being. There's a disturbance, an interruption to the normal, ordinary tenor of life. There's something different. An awareness of being dealt with. I cannot put it better. That's the essence of the Holy Spirit. Lloyd-Jones wasn't what you'd call a charismatic. He was a deep Bible studier. But he recognized the value of spirit-filled living. He often said, I spend half my time telling Christians to study doctrine, the other half telling them doctrine's not enough. He understood that this awareness of the Spirit of God with us makes the power of God come alive in us. Jesus says in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. The analogy he uses describes organic growth, right? Organic growth is different than mechanical growth. Mechanical growth is like building a building. You add pieces. You don't plant a brick and come back later and find a building, right? Organic growth is you plant a seed. This says the kind of change God works in us by the Spirit is organic growth. As we become aware of his closeness and begin to interact with the Spirit, we grow. As we grow, we produce fruit. A lot of Christians don't get that. So they try to build their Christian lives mechanically. Add all these things. I got to do this. I got to do that. And that path leads to religious rituals that are a mechanical substitute for genuine organic growth. It's a terrible substitution. Or to use the words of Bono, religion's what happens when the spirit has left the building. He really said that. I love what Paul said it in um, Colossians 1.27. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Christ in us. Most Christians see the Christian life as something they are doing for God. But eventually they get tired and they give up. It's not Christ in me, it's just me. Others feel like it's Christ and me. Like, like wrestling. You're in the ring with the flesh and the devil. When you get in trouble, Jesus comes off the top rope with a flying elbow. That's not Christ in me, that's Christ and me. What Paul points to is Christ in me. It's like chocolate milk. You add the chocolate to the milk and you can no longer separate the two. Jesus used one word for this type of relationship we're to have with the Spirit. John 15, abide. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. Abide in me, he says, like a branch on a tree and let my life flood through you. Abide is to live in the awareness of the Spirit of God in you. Christianity is not like a theory to master, but a person to walk with. As we discipline ourselves toward awareness, remember, we're not creating a reality. We are working to help ourselves tune into reality. So it's good for us to discipline ourselves to do this because we're actually getting closer to what should be normal. We're not making up a relationship. We're having the relationship with a person who is always at work in our lives wanting to relate to us. Amen. Would you stand up with me? If you're able. So we've been ending this series, uh, ending this series with spoken prayers together. Today, I want to try something a little different. I want to take like 30 seconds for us to simply be aware. Just to be aware of the Holy Spirit with you and allow that to affect you, however it does. 
Conviction, joy, peace, love, desire to reconcile. Whatever it may be, just let his awareness influence you. Then I'm going to close in prayer by reading a verse from the Apostle Paul. That'll be my closing prayer. But for the next 30 seconds, just, I just want us to begin to practice what we're talking about. Let yourself be aware that right here, right now, the Spirit of God is with you and is speaking to you and is always working. Amen? This time is yours. I ask the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, to give you the Spirit who will make you wise and reveal God to you so that you will know him. Amen.